If you'd like to stand while we read the Word of God, you are welcome to do that. If you can't stand or wouldn't like to, no problem at all. James chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and let it be given him, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Father, we, uh, we come to you this, this morning asking God for wisdom in suffering. Father, I know that um, within our congregation there are, are people facing a variety of trials, a variety of, of pain and, and suffering and difficulty and struggle and God, I ask that you would, you would give them generously of your wisdom. God, that you would enable them to see what you're doing. And God, to be able to rejoice in, in their suffering being turned into valuable things for your glory and for their good. Father, we need you for that. There's no way that we can, we can come to that on our own. So Father, we ask for your help this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You can sit down. Okay, so in, in general, what we have in verses 5 through 8, you'll, you'll notice this, is an invitation, okay? It's a particular kind of invitation. It's an invitation to pray. So, so James says, if any of you lacks, wis- lacks wisdom, okay, let him ask of God, okay? So it's, it's, it's basically the Bible saying, hey, you, you, are, you are welcome to come to God for these things. You, you have a lack. Uh, you have a need. Uh, God is rich. God has everything you need, and he invites you to come. He invites you to come and to receive of his riches. He invites you to come and and, and to get what you need from him, okay? Now, one of the really cool things is, this is everywhere in the scriptures, all right? So you find God doing this over and over and over and over again, okay? Once would be beautiful, but it's over and over again. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Hebrews chapter 4 in, in verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Jesus in John 14, 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. And I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Psalm 145, 19. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him, and he hears their cry and saves them. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will answer you, and I'll tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. On and on and on, right? Like this is, this is a few of many, many verses in the Bible in which God is saying, okay, you have a lack. You don't have what you need. You're in need. 
Come to me. I want to feel that. Come to me. I want to give you what you need. I'm willing to give you what you need. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful that that's the kind of God that we serve, that we have this open invitation that whatever our need is, we are to come to him and he'll fill it. Okay? We're not like that. Right? Have you noticed? That's why it's so beautiful is we're not like that. Okay? When we have somebody that comes to us again and again and again and again and again, you know, we, we get wore out. Man, we get, we get tired. We, we, we get, we've had it. I bet you there were families with young children in our church this week who had a moment where they took their little child and they set them down. They said, don't you dare ask for me anything else this week. You know, right? Like, like I, uh, there we go, right there. Like, like, I'm done, right? I'm done. Don't, do not ask for anything else, okay? This actually is a regular occurrence at our house from 5 to 6.30 every night, right? Because like, like Emma just comes to a point where like, no, don't, you, no more cookie, no more crackers, no more, not, no nothing, nothing. Don't, don't ask for anything again. Man, it, it, it's beautiful that God never comes to that point. Isn't that awesome? Like, like you could have come to him a million times seeking wisdom, seeking grace, seeking his riches. He says, come more. His ear is always tuned to our cry. His hand is always open. His desire is for us to depend on him for the best things. That's why he says, come and ask me anything in my will. My will means the best things, the things that you really need. He he teaches us what to ask, okay? So in this particular passage, the thing that is needed, the thing that is lacking, the thing that we're to ask for is wisdom. Okay, now, we went through a series in Proverbs. Many of you are here this summer and, and the kind of the definition that we crafted and, and used was this one. I'm not saying it's the best one or certainly not the only one, but this is the one we were using. Wisdom is knowing and loving the heart of God and the truth of God so that in the complicated and manifold situations of life, we act in ways that please God and bless people. Okay, So basically the heart of that definition is there's a lot of complicated situations. There's a lot of hard situations. There's a lot of difficult situations. There's a lot of painful things that we find ourselves in, painful messes. Okay, And wisdom is the ability to know God's heart about that, to know his mind about that, about that painful thing in your life, that, that complex thing in your life, and to be able to, to, to act in ways that, that honor him and that bless other people. Okay, And so in James, he's saying what, what's lacked is wisdom, and we should ask of God for wisdom. Now, wisdom about what? Okay, now the general answer to that is anything, right? I mean, there, there is literally nothing that you, that's going on in your life that you can't come to God for, right? There, there's no area in which God's like, you know what? I don't know, I don't know a lot about that, you know? I don't know much about that. Go, go to somebody else. Go to a specialist. That, that, that's never true, right? And so actually you can take, this isn't true of every Bible, Bible passage, but I really think you can take verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, and you can apply that to whatever's going on in your life that you need wisdom for, whatever painful things in your life. So it could be, you know, God, I'm, I, I, I'm in bondage to sin. Maybe you've got an enslaving sin in your life. Okay, come to God for wisdom. Maybe it's, God, how do I forgive somebody who's hurt me deeply? Come to God. How, how do I raise a difficult child? Or how do I thrive in a difficult marriage? Or how do I navigate some thorny, messy conflict in my life? Or, or how do I share my faith? Or how do I, how do I approach my hard-hearted neighbor? How do I give generously? Any of those things, okay, I think would apply to verses five through eight. I think you could apply them legitimately and rightly from the Bible to any of those things. But it's clear, actually, when we read the the passage I read, two through 12, it is clear in the context that James is talking about a specific thing. He's talking about suffering, right? Let me give you a little refresher from last week, okay? What did verse two say? Verse two said, you're gonna meet various trials, okay? Remember, it wasn't if, it's when, Okay, verse 2 says, count all joy, my, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When? 
All right, so, so verse 2 says you're, you're going to find yourself in a mess sometimes. You're going to find yourself in a hard thing, a painful thing, a struggle, a hardship, a trial. You're going to find yourself in trials, and, and, and those trials are not going to be joyful, right? They're, they're trials. They're pain. They're not going to be struggle. They're, they're going to be hard, okay? And, and, and you're commanded here to count it all joy, and you're, you're, you're supposed to count it all joy because, if you remember from last week, that testing of your faith produces things. It produces steadfastness. That's like an endurance, an ability to, to bear up for Christ under hard things. It produces this spiritual maturity. That's that word perfection or perfect. It produces a completeness. It, it produces a, a, a supplying of what's lacking in your life. So like maybe you got stuff that you lack. You got stuff that you, you need. Right in your spiritual life. Okay, so he says, he says, trials supply that thing. Okay, so so in the context, then it's basically wisdom in the sense of how can I think about and respond to suffering in a way that honors God and produces valuable stuff that will be a blessing for me and others. Okay, so how 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 can I think about suffering in that way? Now I think this is really important because we struggle with this. Okay, when, when it, whenever we're put in a painful situation, particularly a painful situation that lasts a while, you know, you know what we hear? You know what we, we hear ourselves saying and what we hear other people saying? We, we start hearing people saying things like, man, why, God, why? Like, God, God, what are you doing through this? I, I've heard people say, I just cannot imagine what good, have you ever heard that? What good could possibly come from this? We need wisdom, don't we? Isn't that what that's saying? Nothing redemptive God could come from this. I need wisdom. And so, so the context of, of what James is teaching here is, is asking God for wisdom about how to respond to persecution or tragedy or chronic pain or loss or conflict or broken relationships or broken people. How do I live in the midst of suffering in a way that doesn't dishonor God and make me bitter? That's a possibility, isn't it? but rather in, in a way that honors God and makes me better. Like, like, like that's what James is talking about, okay? So, so, so asking God for wisdom in the midst of suffering. Now, good news. Good news is God has a fantastic track record with this, okay? So God has a fantastic track record of taking situations that everybody's looking at and saying, that's a disaster. That shouldn't be. That's horrible, God has this amazing track record of giving wisdom to be able to see that actually that situation is producing something glorious. How would you like some examples? I know you would, all right? Let me give you some, okay? How about this one? The cross, all right? So, so think for me for just a second about the cross, okay? Kind of take yourself, like pretend you've never heard anything about Christianity before, okay? So what is the cross, the cross is humiliation at its very worst, okay? The cross is meant to degrade and to humiliate at, at, at the, the highest level, okay? The cross is, is full of false accusation and slander. It's full of injustice. If you know the story of the cross, you know that it's the greatest injustice ever to occur in the history of the world. It is torture. It is murder. It is an innocent man taking the punishment of the guilty. It is God the Father turning away from his own son and refusing to hear his cry. And it's the worst. Okay? And to the world, it's foolishness. It is utter foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18. Listen to this. 
For the word of the cross is folly. That's a word that means foolishness to those who are perishing. And so the Bible itself says, you know what? When, when, when people who don't know Christ, when they look at the cross, they're like, that's the most foolish thing ever. I mean, just imagine it. That's the king. Yes, that, that one in the middle there. That's the savior of the world. Yes, yes, the one who's stripped naked, whose back is filleted off, whose flesh is dripping off of him, who's bleeding and dying for a torturous six-hour death between two thieves. Yep, that's God. What's the world say about that? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. That's foolishness. But to us who believe, can I, can I read the rest of the passage to you? Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1. I'm gonna keep reading here, okay? But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God. God and the wisdom of God. You see that? Like God, God takes something that the world says, this is, this is the most horrific, ridiculous thing ever. And God says, you're just not wise. <laughs> because wisdom shows that it's the most beautiful thing in all the universe. How about some more examples? This guy named Joseph uh, in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis he is the shining star of his family, okay, literally. Like he's the, the brightest and the best son of, of a whole bunch of sons, okay? And Joseph is then betrayed by his brothers, assumed dead by his parents, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned, and forgotten for over a decade, okay? Now, in the midst of that, can you imagine what maybe Joseph or possibly others, certainly his parents were saying, man, God, why? Why? What possible good? could be accomplished from a man being betrayed by his own brothers, almost murdered by them, and then just to make a little money, sold into slavery. What possible good could come from a man who, who, who was doing his master, the, the very, was prospering his master, and then is lied about and falsely accused about the master, by the master's wife, and then thrown into prison, and there does incredibly great things and is forgotten about. What, God, what are you doing? What was God doing? Well, Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh and is exalted a prime minister and saves the entire Middle East from a seven-year famine that would have killed everybody, delivers his entire family from starvation. And the story ends in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, with Joseph saying this to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, what was foolish to many was the wisdom of God, all right? So God's really good at this. That's all I'm telling you. God's good at this, all right? God is good at taking a horrific, terrible, painful thing and, and somehow giving us wisdom to know how to respond to that in a way that doesn't make us bitter, that doesn't dishonor God, that rather makes us better, okay? So we should do what? We should ask, okay? But you should ask in a particular way, all right? This is where this passage is really helpful in, in all of life and just knowing how to pray, okay? So verse five says, if any of you lacks wisdom, Wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Stop right there. 
Okay, so, so one, of the, one of the big pieces of this passage is, is that when you come to God for, for wisdom, you need to come a certain way. In fact, this passage says if you come the wrong way, you're not getting anything from God. You will not understand. You, you'll, you'll not be able to endure. You will not get what you need. Okay, so this is important that we come to him in the way that the Bible tells us to come, and that is to come in faith with no doubting. Okay, so, so that's specifically how we're told to come. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, the thing that scares me is that doubt is really trendy right now. Have you, got, have you guys known that? Have you seen that? Doubt is a trendy thing. In fact, uh, what, what much of the world says is that if you don't doubt God and doubt the Bible and doubt the things that you've heard in the gospel, then you're kind of a small-minded country bumpkin guy, okay? Um, that, that's kind of the way the world presents it. And it usually happens kind of like this. The vibe in our culture is that, that, that you, you should doubt, and, and doubt usually happens by, by taking things that either we don't like, okay? So things in the Bible or things of God that we don't like, and and let's be honest, there's things there we don't like, right? Um, Or taking things that are hard, okay? Or taking things that are are not the way we would do them, okay? A lot of people approach the Bible like that. They approach the Bible, well, hey, I wouldn't do it like that if I was God, which is a really kind of funny way to approach life if I was God, you know? By the way, don't marry that person. That's, that's a bad deal, all right? Um, but anyway, uh, that's just a little freebie thrown in there, okay? So when, when you're approaching life as, hey, if I were God, I would do it this way, right? Okay? So, so it usually happens in, in kind of one of those ways. Or, or even like, hey, the rest of the world doesn't think that about this, you know? All those guys on the sitcom, they don't think that. Or all those guys on, on iTunes, they don't think that. And so, so it usually happens something like that. And then it's usually a, a kind of a thorny issue, like, like in our culture, maybe the role of women in marriage or maybe... Maybe the Bible stands on divorce or abortion or homosexuality or sex before marriage or, or the Bible's description of, of sin and judgment and hell. Those things are hard. And, and, and they aren't the, maybe the way that you would have written them if you were God. Again, scary way to think about life, okay? And, and it's certainly not what Ellen says and it's not what Beyonce says and it's not what Bernie says, right? And, and, and they're, they're the ones that have the mics. And so, so you know what people do? They, they doubt, okay? They begin to doubt that maybe, maybe God isn't good, or maybe he isn't right, or maybe he isn't who I thought he was, or, or maybe, maybe this isn't his word, or maybe, maybe the Bible's wrong, or maybe God couldn't keep it pure, he, he couldn't communicate effectively, and, and now we have this distorted version. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should doubt this. Okay, now, I want to tell you something. Realize that whenever you're doubting, you're simply choosing to believe something else. I know that's really simple, but honestly, a lot of people don't think of it that way. A lot of people think it's like intellectually um, cool just to doubt everything. Well, you know what doubt is? Doubt's just believing something else that can be doubted. Have you ever thought about it? You see what I'm saying? Like, like so whenever you doubt um, who God is or what he said or his word, basically what you're doing is you're saying, okay, I'm not going to believe God. I'm not going to believe Jesus. I'm not going to believe the one who rose from the dead. I'm going to believe this. My own thought, my own conviction, what Ellen said. Okay, that I'm gonna. Well, here's what I'm telling you. I, th- I think what you ought to do is move over and say, okay, can this be doubted? What, what, what I've just moved to, you know, what is the validity of that? What is, what is the evidence for that? What is, what is the conviction of that? Okay, what, what, what is my case to move from the one who created the universe, uh, the one who, who, who wrote the Holy Scriptures, the tested Scriptures, the one who, who rose from the dead and verified all this? Why should I, why should I believe something else other than that? What, what other than that has 
the validity of the scriptures and of Jesus. Now, I read an article this week, and it was really interesting because it gave the top reasons that people doubt. Okay, uh, I just want to share them with you. I think they're interesting, so this is kind of a rabbit trail, but that's all right. Every once in a while, it's rabbit hunting is fine. Um, what Top reasons people doubt. Number one, you meet an atheist who's a really great guy. Okay, so... So one of the reasons that people doubt Christianity is that they're plugging along and all of a sudden they meet this, this person that's, you know, I don't believe in any God. There is no God. I am God. But he is the nicest dude ever, you know, makes the best chicken fry. You know, he came, came you had a flat tire along the road one time and, and he buzzed up behind you and he got out and he said, hey, not only will I fix your tire, but I happen to have a spare tire, uh, a tire that I'll just give you, you know. And he had kind of had a NASCAR deal going, you know, put it on, you know, sent you off, you know, gave you a push. I mean, he's just the nicest guy ever, you know. And you're like, well, how can the Bible be true? Well, Okay, so that's one reason. Um, what I would have you consider uh, in that is that the Bible very specifically goes into detail describing good people who go to hell because they reject Jesus the Son, okay? Rich young ruler is one of them, all right? So in other words, a lot of these people almost approach it like, aha, God, you hadn't thought of old Stan over here, had you? Well, no, God did. Actually, he wrote about that, okay? Number two, a professing Christian or the church lets you down, Okay? So in other words, someone who professes to be a Christian lets you down. Um, That's real. That's absolutely valid. It does happen. In fact, Jesus wrote whole parables on how that would happen, how how there would be weeds in the wheat, how even his own people would sin. In fact, there's this whole long section in the Old Testament that describes you know, the sin of, of, of one of the heroes, David, in, in the Bible. And so the Bible in no way, if you've read it, you'll know this, it does not hide the brokenness of people and it always spotlights the glory of Jesus. Okay, number three, hell doesn't seem fair. That was the third one. Hell doesn't seem fair. Um, the, the one that's interesting about, the thing that's interesting to me about that one is that what, what you're essentially doing is, when, when you say something is, isn't fair, what you're essentially doing is you're saying, okay, God, you are no longer the standard of righteousness. You are no longer the judge of what is right and wrong, fair or not fair. I am, Right? Like, that's, that's what you're doing. I, I, I am that person. I am the one who will now tell you what is righteous and unrighteous. It just seems unwise to me that, that I, you know, could be a better judge of what is right than God. And then here's the one I, really, I say all that just to get to this one. The fourth one was a faithful, wonderful believer suffers. So one of the things that makes people doubt is when somebody they love, maybe some of their grandma, their, their parent, their brother, sister, strong believer, strong follower of Jesus, and man, they enter into a horrific time of suffering. What do we do with that? Well, there's actually lots written in the Bible about that, but let, let me just tell you, the answer to all those, the answer to all of those is the character of God, okay? Now, the reason I say that is because Particularly in suffering, what the Bible tells us is that when we think about suffering, when we think about doubt and suffering, the thing that we most need is not answers, it's actually the character of God. Okay, now I, I would present to you a book in the Bible as my, as my evidence for that. It's the book of Job, okay? So in the book of Job, let, let me just, I'm going to give you a quick overview of the book of Job, okay? Chapters 1 and 2, Job loses everything, all right? Tremendous suffering. He's got the loss of his children. He has the loss of his health. 
He has the loss of his finances, the loss of his business. He, he has loss in every area of life and, and to, to the max. Like this guy, by the end of chapter 2, he is sitting in, in ashes and, and his clothes are torn. He has weeping, painful sores all over his body. And he's got tombstones all around him of the loss of his family. All right? That's chapters 1 and 2. In chapters 3 through 37, if you've ever read them, they're incredibly hard to get through, okay? Because 3 through 37 are basically, why? God, why? Why? All right, it's, it's the cry that James anticipates here in verse 5, that you're going to meet various trials, and you're going to be just like Job. You're going to be like, God, why is this happening? God, what are you doing in this? God, you know what? What? What could possibly good could come from this? Like, God, why would you allow this? Yet all the while trusting. But don't, don't, hear, don't hear me saying Job doubted. I don't think Job was a doubter. There, there's this great verse, Job 13, 15. It's one of my favorites. He says, though he slay me, talking of God, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. And then, after chapter 37, you have four of the most glorious chapters in the Bible. It'd be a treat for you to read them this afternoon, chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41. And you know what God does in those four chapters? God, God doesn't give Job answers, actually. You know what he does? God pulls back the curtain, and he just puts himself on display. God reveals his power, and he reveals his majesty, and he reveals his wisdom in, in a myriad of different ways. God just shouts his own glory and his own sufficiency and his own power over and over to Job. And at the end of that, Job has no more questions. It's amazing to me. Like Job is all of a sudden okay. He's okay. And he still doesn't know why he had all this loss, but he's okay because he has seen the character of God. And then the book ends in chapter 42 in this amazing way where God restores all the fortunes of Job twofold. Okay, I think what we have here in James chapter 1, where God says, all right, if you're going through these trials and if you're lacking wisdom, then you should ask of God. But you should ask in faith with no doubting, which means ask believing his character. Okay, I think that's, that's the big thing that that means. I think, I think asking in faith with no doubting means believe the character of God. In other words, come to God as you're asking him, believing what the Bible says about it. Right? Believing his power, believing his glory, believing his goodness, believing his wisdom. Come, come in full faith of who God is. I like what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says, Any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives. And then we get little glimpses of his character here. Who gives generously to all without reproach. Jesus was really saying the same thing in Matthew 7. When, when he's encouraging us to pray, he says, ask, and it'll be given, seek, and you'll find, knock, and it'll be open. Then in verse 8, he says, everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Basically, Jesus is saying, come to God as a good father. Man, come to him in your pain and your brokenness. But when you come, know that he's a good father. Know that, that, that his character is impeccable. Know that he's everything you need. Come to him with this anticipation that God is, is, is doing the things he said he would do. I like verse 5 where it says, He gives to all generously and without reproach. Have you, have you, ever, have you ever gone to somebody for something and they give it to you, but they also give you a little scolding? 
You ever, has that ever happened? You know, like you need something or you forgot something. My, my kids, this happens all the time with my kids at school. You know, they'll, they'll call and their lunchbox is, is very safe and secure on the kitchen counter while they're at school, you know. And they walked out without it and then, Dad, can you bring me my lunchbox, you know. I'm like, absolutely, I'll bring your lunchbox, you know. And I don't always do it, but once in a while I like to put in a little bit, you know, you're supposed to load that, you know, right? Like, like I'll give this to you, but you know, right? You know what this says? It says God doesn't do that. Isn't that incredible? Verse 5, if anyone, who, if anyone who lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. You know what Hebrews says about Jesus? It says that he is a faithful high priest. What does that mean? That means he is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses. What that means is you will never experience a pain or a loss or a disappointment or a struggle or a discouragement that Jesus does not feel even more deeply than you. I love that. Doesn't that encourage you to come to him? It, knowing that, that, listen, you don't have to get yourself all right and cleaned up to come to God. I, I think we've got to say that because I find two groups of people, all right, uh, as far as trials. One group of people, when, when, when things fall apart in their life and when they are hurting and broken, you know what they do? They go away from God. And they're like, it's almost like I got to go away and get this figured out and get this all healed up before I can come back to him. Don't be that group. You, you should be like the psalmist. You, when you read the psalms, you find a group of people that they run to God. When everything is broken and busted, they go and they unload it all on God. He's the one they want to go to. You see, the difference between those two people is one group believes in the character of God. One group believes that he is a sympathizing high priest. One group believes that he is generous and that he will not reproach. And so they run. I want you to be that group. I want you to be the kind of group that does not doubt the power of God or the love of God or that he is exactly what you need in every trial. You see, there are folks that come to him and they don't come to him as if he's exactly what I need. They come to him as if I need this thing over here. And by the way, if you can help, then that'd be greatly appreciated. I can't tell you how many times I've said, hey, man, can I pray for you? And somebody has answered in some fashion like this. Well, it couldn't hurt. Does that strike you as full of faith? Does that strike you as, man, God is everything I need. He's the one that really can answer this. He's the one that can make me. That doesn't strike me as that. That strikes me as, well, I really need something else, but man, if, if that dude can you know, help out a little bit, shoot, ask him. When you come to God, come to him believing in his character. Number two, when you come to God, what it means to ask in faith and not doubt means you genuinely want what you're asking for. Okay, I want to say that again. You genuinely want what you're asking for. Now, I know you, what you might be thinking. Why would I not want what I'm asking for? I really believe that there are a lot of prayers that are prayed that are not, they're not sincere. They're, they're actually double-minded prayers. Okay, so do you, do you see what, what he says the, about the doubter? Okay, so keep reading here in your text. Um, go to verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. He's up and down, driven, tossed here and there by the wind. That person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. We're going to see this again in James, James 4. He's a double-minded man. Double-minded means you're, you're looking two, two ways at the same time. You're saying you want this, but really you want this. Okay? He's a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. 
You see, there's almost a type of spiritual schizophrenic who, who they pray, but really they don't really want what they pray. Okay, that, that's a doubting man. You're doubting that you're living. I can tell you don't believe me. Let me give you some examples. Have you ever, maybe you yourself, or you, maybe, maybe you knew someone, prayed for holiness, but you really didn't want it? Like, like I, I believe there are people who pray, God, make me holy, but they know in their heart, but I ain't giving away this. I'm not giving that up. God, I want your will. I, man, I've had people tell me this, but I will not do that, and I will not do that, and I will not do that. Okay, that's, that's a double-minded man. You don't really want what you're praying for. How about the guy who prays for revival, but he doesn't really want more of God? How many churches have been guilty of that? God, bring revival to our town. But by the way, God, our schedules are really booked up. You can't have any more of me. Like, I'm really busy. Like, don't ask me for more time. Don't ask me to prayer walk. Don't ask, don't ask me to engage my community. I'm really busy. God, bring revival. But that's a double-minded man. You don't really want what you're asking for. When we pray, we should actually want what we pray. You know the scary thing? So this, this is maybe a, another step. I think there are times when we pray and we actually don't want anything. I, I think there are. I think I've done that. I think I've heard other people do that. Like, like, like asking God, but really, really we don't want anything. Not, not truly. Like, it's just a formality. Do you think it's possible to pray, God, please bless all the missionaries, and God, keep us all well? Amen. Do you think it's possible to pray that, but in your heart, you really don't expect anything from God? You don't expect Him to do anything. I think it is. I think there are times where, where we, we don't pray in faith because we're not actually expecting and wanting what we're praying for. You see, when we pray... We ought to pray specific enough that we're saying, God, give me this. And then, then you know what we ought to do? We ought to look for that, right? Like we, we ought to wait for that. One of my favorite passages this week, uh, I've been, I started over reading the Psalms uh, a couple weeks ago. And so I was in Psalm 27, the end of it, I, I journaled on several times, kept coming back to try to memorize it. Psalm 27, 13 and 14 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's beautiful, first of all. David's like, man, God, I believe that you're going to bring me your goodness and you're going to bring me into the land of the living. And then the next verse, this is what I loved. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's almost like David is praying. You know, he gets off his knees. He asks for God this. And then, then, then he's up with his hands saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for you. I'm, I'm waiting for you to give what I just asked for. See, that's a guy who actually believes what he's praying. He's asking, and then he's ready to receive. He's looking for it. I think that's part of what it means to ask in faith. And then the third thing, when James says, let him ask in faith with no doubting, is I think that means that you're not asking God's opinion. Okay? I actually think you should never ask God's opinion on something. Okay? Let me, let, me, let me describe what I'm talking about. When you ask for God's opinion, when you ask for somebody's opinion, you're just asking for what they think, and then you're going to make your own judgment. For the last week, I've been, um, I've been thinking about getting a handgun. Uh, don't worry, I'm not mad at anybody or nothing. Um, 
I just, my, my, my son, my oldest son is interested, and my son-in-law, he's kind of interested, and we were going to go shooting uh, over the holidays, and so I thought, man, it'd be kind of cool to have, you know, a variety. I have a couple, I have a rifle and a shotgun, but I don't have a handgun, so I thought, you know, I'd, I'd good. So I've been asking a bunch of people, and, and, and it, but here's the deal, I'm asking opinions, right? So, so like one person says, well, man, you should get a 22. Like literally that's the funnest gun just to shoot. Like if you're just wanting fun, that's, this is the funnest. You know, they've got one and they were telling me all about it. I, I totally believe them, but I'm not going to buy a 22. Okay? I, like I already, did, I already determined in my mind I wasn't going to because I already have a 22 rifle and I, I just want something different. I, right or wrong, that's what I want, right? Uh, another guy told me, man, you need to get a revolver. You know, and he gave me some reasons why. And there's parts of that that I kind of like. They're kind of cool, especially the spin in the deal. I think it'd be kind of cool. Kind of like Old West kind of deal, you know. Or, you know, I always kind of want to do that, you know. That would be kind of fun, you know. But but I'm not I'm not going to get a revolver. Like, I I, I think I'm sold on the, the semi-automatic. I think that would be just more fun, better, you know. Another guy said, hey, go buy new. Man, guns are a great investment. So I, I actually went to the gun store. I went to the first time this week. It took me and Asher went. Hung out there, got great service, really. It was a neat experience. I saw the price of the new guns. I'm like, I ain't doing that. No way, you know. Uh-uh. Right? So do you, see, do you see what an opinion is? Like, when I ask an opinion, I'm like, hey, what do you think? But I, I've already kind of got, like, what I am doing and not doing and what I already think. And so, like, I'm just asking for A lot of people come to God that way. Don't do that. Don't come to God saying, God, I am in this trial, I'm in this hardship, I'm in this suffering, and God, I'm asking for wisdom on how to live this out, but by the way, God, I'm not doing this, and I'm not doing that. Don't ask me to do this. And you can't come to God that way. If your idea of, of approaching God for wisdom is, God, tell me what you think, and I'm going to weigh it against my own opinion and against Oprah's, and then, then, I'll, then I'll decide what I'm going to do. Here's what verse 7 says, okay? That person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. That is not coming in faith. Coming in faith is coming to God saying, God, you are life. You are joy. I want you. God, give me wisdom and how to, how to live in this trial. And God, whatever you say, I'm in already. Whatever the cost, I'm in already. Because I am convinced, I have faith that you are life. That's coming to God in faith. That's what it means to come to God and not doubt. I don't know if I'm going to finish this next week or if I'm going to jump to the next passage. This would be three weeks in trial. So I'm going to give you a one-minute sermon on the next two verses just in case I don't get to come back, okay? They go together. 9, 10, and 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises in the scorching heat, withers the grass, the flower falls, the beauty perishes. So also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Bless the man who remains steadfast under trial. I think you see an example of this kind of wisdom in verses 9, 10, and 11. That, that's my only explanation for how could an impoverished brother, that's a lowly brother, how could a man in poverty... Okay, who's got nothing, how could that guy, see what it says? Boast in his exaltation. How could someone who's got nothing, and when you think poverty, don't think America, think, think poverty like India. How could the person making a dollar a day, living in a grass hut, our brothers and sisters that we support, how could that guy 
rejoice and boast in his exaltation. Only by the wisdom of God. Only by having come to God and seen that he is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. On the other hand, how could the rich brother, how could the, how could the guy living in Beverly Hills in the mansion who's a believer? Yes, there probably are some. Quit, right? How could that guy, how could that guy look at everything he has and say, all of this means nothing? It's like the flower of the grass perishes. How can he do that? Only by God's wisdom. I'm, what I'm telling you is I think 9, 10, 11 are examples of God's wisdom. People who, who in their circumstances, they see God's wisdom, and they're like, oh, man, I see everything different. I think God can do that for you. I think God can, whatever you're in, whatever trial, whatever struggle, I think, I think when you come to God in faith, I think he can enable you to see things in a completely different way. I think he can give you strength to charge through those and power to bring glory to God and blessing to others in the midst of your trial. Man, I, I want you right now just to stop and I want you to ask God for that. Let's do that. So you bow your head and our musicians are gonna come up here and we're gonna sing a final song. But before we do that, we're, we're just gonna ask. I want you in the quietness of your own heart to come in faith. I want you to come believing that God's everything he says he is, believing his character. I want you to come really, really asking genuinely, wanting what you're asking for. I want you to come not asking his opinion, but submitting yourself at his feet. Now ask. Ask him for what you need. Ask him for wisdom. Wisdom in your trial, wisdom in your you're dealing with your broken relationships, your, your broken family, your broken body. Ask him. Believe. Trust him. Father, we come and, God, we ask for wisdom this morning. We ask, God, that you would, you would give it generously, without reproach. God, we ask in faith. God, we trust that you're everything we need. God, we, we submit ourselves to you. Father, we ask it in Christ's name.